time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in to the fastest two hours of my week every week. The top of the second hour, I actually want to do a little introduction about the, an interview that I pre-recorded just a couple of days ago. Many of you probably noticed a book that was being touted by Steve Bannon as a must-read book. It's by a man named Rahim Kassam, and his book is titled No-Go Zones, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. And he is a Brit, as you will hear from his very British accent. He grew up in a Muslim home. He is no longer Muslim. He lives in England. But I want to just lay the groundwork. This book, I just cannot recommend it to you strongly enough. I actually ordered it uh, from Amazon. So again, it's called No-Go Zones. His last name is Kassam, K-A-S-S-A-M. But um, I think it's available in uh, electronic form. Anyway, it's just a stellar book. What he actually did in doing this book, he went to visit cities around the world that are alleged to have no-go zones. And let me just stop and describe this because it's really important for this political context to, to kind of explain this to you before he comes on. So as we have seen massive Islamic immigration into Europe and into Great Britain, there has um, developed over the last 40 years and more, most especially in the last eight years or so, uh, Muslim-majority neighborhoods in these Western European cities and the um, and actually there's some in America too, but the concept is it's not just that they happen to be Muslim majority. It is that the whole culture and policies and politics and security changes in those area. They call the areas, they call them no-go zones because it means that uh, Westerners, people who are, let's say, just pick the one in Paris, the several in Paris, people who are native Parisians, native French, cannot enter those areas because Muslims have kind of carved them out as no-go zones. You cannot come here. They are literally excluding the uh, native people of that, uh, the you know citizens of that country. They're carving out, and he uses the expression in his book, a country within a country. They're saying you can't come here. It is uh, the danger to police officers when they even have a call for a police or ambulance or fire that even when the people c- trying to come in, to these no-go zone areas as for police, ambulance, fire. They are often shot at, uh, weapons thrown at them, knives thrown, rocks, bricks. I mean, they are attacked by the residents of that area. These, the, these uh, Muslim immigrants have created areas where they're saying, you know, this is our place. You can't come here. We don't, you know, we might be in the middle of France or Belgium or any other country, but you can't come here. And on top of that, part of what has occurred, and it's really prevalent in England, is the notion that the law of the country where they are, that they really live in, whether it's England or Brussels or or Paris or Sweden or France or Sweden, the laws of the country are deemed inapplicable, not applicable to the people who live in these no-go zones. There are Muslim-majority areas saying, we make the laws here, Western laws don't apply. So things like female genital mutilation. And we're going to do a special show about that before too long for you to really understand what that is and means and how many women it happens to young girls, young girls with no idea what's happening to them until they realize they're in in deep pain and have been scarred forever. Female genital mutilation, the notion of laws that say it may be that in America, you know, you can only have one husband and you, you one wife. I mean, you, that we have, you know, 
we have two people in a marriage, a husband and a wife, and in, in uh, Muslim-majority countries, you can have, in some countries, men can have up to four or more wives. Well, these areas where they're claiming that men could have more than one wife, that female genitalation, uh, genital mutilation is okay, violence against women, uh, husbands being extremely violent toward their wives, permitted under Sharia, which is Islamic law. So all of this has been happening in Western Europe, and people report on it. Other aspects about it are that when the uh, when crime happens in those areas, many of the people uh, don't want to, the police don't want to report it, the media will not report it, they just ignore it, deny it's happening. And so as these, this is obviously great uh, fodder, great evidence for why some people are very careful in America saying, do we really want to bring in more Islamic immigration to America, especially if we think they may be dangerous people? So what the left has started to do is to deny the existence of no-go zones. They either deny them entirely, say that this is right-wing radical crazy ideas, or they say you're greatly exaggerating uh, because there might be a tiny little problem, but not the problem you're trying to to, um, to paint for the world to see and fear. So this author, Raheem Kassam, actually went to and visited Molenbeek. It looks like it should be Molenbeek. That's Molenbeek. It's near Brussels in Belgium. He visited Malmo, Sweden, you know, now rape capital of the world, the police and media cover up there. Uh, France, high, the country of France, especially city on high of Paris, on high alert all the time. The um, very quaint, lovely area, Batley in England, a sleepy countryside, uh, aggressive, intolerant of Western values and Western people. Um, and the, the left works very hard. It also changes the whole notion of schools and education. They want Islamic neighborhoods, want their own schools. So these people are not learning the values of the country where they're based. Uh, there's the media misrepresentation or just hiding the truth. So all these stories, why this guy did, he went out and, and reported what was really there. And we come back from the break. You'll hear from him, Raheem Kassam. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. 
You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America. Can we talk? Thank you so very much for tuning in tonight. As I mentioned before our break, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest joining us tonight. His name is Rahim Kassam, and he is the author of a book called No-Go Zones, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. Just an excellent book, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, sir. Well, you know, I was telling you before we came on air that I just think this book is fabulous. I really urge people to read it. It's called No-Go Zones. Again, No-Go Zones. How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. I want to just start with the idea of just telling our listeners, so what this book is about, essentially, is that the author actually visited uh, numerous areas in Europe and America where we the term no-go zone is used. Neighborhoods or areas are described as no-go zones. And there's a lot of controversy, of course, because people um, in the media and some of the on the left want to deny either their existence or else the impact of them. So great idea to just tour these uh, various areas and talk to people on the ground and lay your own eyes on the um, situations. I want to start with, now that all you've studied, how do you define or describe what a no-go zone is? Yes, well, 
thank you for the introduction. It's you know it seems to be novelty nowadays to actually do unique research, which is I think a great shame uh, as far as our, our establishment journalists uh, are concerned. Um, I think a lot of them were taken aback by this book simply because they wanted to attack it, but there was nothing in there that they you know that they could put their finger on that that wasn't true. Nothing that they could put their finger on that they had even seen themselves and could refuse because they haven't done the background work. So I said about this book, and I say in the first chapter, look, if I find that these areas are, are pretty um, pretty uh, nonviolent, pretty safe, uh, if, 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 the, if the facts that, that CNN and those guys come out with that we shouldn't be concerned about these places bear out, then I would admit it. Unfortunately, that's not what I found. Um, and so over the course of touring these areas around uh, Brussels, in Belgium, in Sweden, in the United Kingdom, and indeed the United States and France and, and, and all over the place, um, I had to come up with a working definition of a no-go zone. Um, and, and, and I suppose the best thing that, that, that we could come up with, because some of these areas can differ from country to country, the way that the, this migration issue manifests itself, the, the thing I came up with is to say that it's an area really which, you know, the likelihood of being attacked because of uh, your appearance or the bigotry of locals, if that likelihood is higher uh, than anywhere else in the city or anywhere else in the country, then you should start feeling like it may be to do with, with demographic issues, uh, and I'm sure as we'll get onto with religious issues, uh, and obviously large swathes of criminality that play off both of those things too. But it's not only for people like me or people like yourselves or your listeners who these places are for whom these places are more dangerous uh, it's also uh, local authorities uh, politicians police uh, if they have to negotiate their way in if they don't feel safe going in there and in fact in in some areas as, as you can see in the book not only do police not want to go there or have to go there in very large numbers but also they can't build police stations in these areas because builders and contractors refuse to work in such dangerous places. So that's the sort of working definition, um, which, is, which is a little bit more succinct in the book. Um, but that's a working definition of what a no-go zone is. And specifically, uh, I suppose it's, you know, it's incumbent upon me to say that, that we are dealing here with areas that are predominantly uh, uh, populated by and, and recently populated by uh, Muslim migrants from the Middle East, from North Africa and from South Asia. Okay, it, it, that was a great answer. And you had several other lines in your book I want to go back to in a minute and kind of embellishing the thought of what no-go zones are. I want to talk specifically, you, you mentioned in, you, a moment ago the various places you visited and actually talked to people on the ground. Uh, one area you talked about going to was in um, Brussels, or out in, and the actual name of the neighborhood is, is it it's Molenbeek? Is that the right pronunciation? Mol, they, they say Molenbeek. We, we say all sorts of things because we can't pronounce it, but yeah, Molenbeek is how they would say it. Okay. Well, you know, I, what I think is really interesting there is there was a lot of... Uh, I mean, backing up, your point a moment ago, what we are watching in, in Europe, which I want to talk about first, and then we'll get to America. What we're watching in Europe, though, is a result of actually uh, a very large migration of predominantly uh, Muslim individuals from a variety of countries, North Africa, Syria, um, places who were there fleeing violence, and or even prior to the more recent violence, the um, pe people moving into areas. And part of what happens is, in Europe and other places, is that 
groups of Muslims moving into these areas tend to all choose to live very near each other. So they become Muslim-majority neighborhoods. And I just want to distinguish between, because I think a lot of people say, well, in fact, someone said this to me recently in, in a debate I was on, just said, well, so what? You know, the Italians come to New York City, they make Little Italy, the Chinese come to San Francisco, they have Chinatown. You know, why do we have to react so with such concern because this, these happen to be Arab-majority neighborhoods or more, even more specifically Moroccan-majority neighborhoods. Mm. What's, the, what's the distinction? Yeah, and of course uh, there are people who refer to these places as, as little Marrakesh and, and, and so forth. But it's a great question. It's a question that, that across you know, the writing of this book, uh, it, it plagued me because, of course, uh, you know, Americans and, and Brits like me, we, we want to see the best in everything we want to see the best in people and it's not in our nature to be churlish it's not in our nature to be to be uh, um you know even even sort of negatively discriminatory uh it's you know america's a very welcoming and open country as is the united kingdom and so it's built into us that actually to be fair here are the things we must consider and it, and it, and it tells you a lot about you and 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 your audience so that's the second question you asked me you see if you were to ask CNN, what would this interview be like? Uh, they would think it would all be sort of, you know, frothing at the mouth anger about this migration problem. It's yeah. not. We're trying. We're trying to be fair and trying to understand. Here's the thing that people need to understand: when you go to Little Italy, uh, when you go to Chinatown, we've seen the Irish ghettoize uh, all of these different groups. The one thing that is missing in all of those other groups is what a lot of people are now referring to as Sharia supremacy. They do not have a a religious element within their communities that tell them that the law of the land in which they're in, whether that's the United States Constitution or whether it's laws as, as, as asserted by the British Parliament, are inferior to their God-given law. That's what this is all about. That's what what I found and what it comes down to. When you look at the public polling across these areas and across Europe specifically, even in the United States, but let's take Europe as an example for a start. When you look at the public polling, when Muslims are asked the question, do you believe that Sharia should be implemented in the United Kingdom or in Belgium or in France? A whopping number of them say, yes, we want to live in Sharia-controlled societies. Up to 40% in some of these places believe they want to live. And that's, and that's, by the way, I think, erring on the conservative side, because they don't actually want to say yes to these pollsters. So that's the people who are being honest. If, if, we're, being, if we're being really analytical about it, we could probably say uh, at least half of these people want to live in this Sharia-dominated societies. And then you have to ask, well, what is Sharia? What is Islamic law? And then you find that they have a predilection towards the acceptance of, of terrorism, of oppression of women, of things like female genital mutilation, uh, uh, throwing homosexuals from the tops of buildings as, 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 as some sort of punishment. You know, all of these things that, uh, by and large, I, I would argue, and I should hope, that most right-headed people don't think and don't want to live by. And this is what forms the sort of the undercurrent or the foundation of these areas. Yes, there's lots of crime. Yes, there's lots of drugs. Yes, there's, there's, there's all sorts of things that you find in all, all other ghettos. But the one thing you won't find is this is this sort of deference and blind adherence to the fact that they want their law to take precedence over ours. 
If you just tuned in, uh, we're speaking and just already having a fabulous time speaking with the author of the book No-Go Zones by Raheem Kassam. The subtitle of the book I love is How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. And I do want to, um, we, we're going to stay together after the break, but I do want to tell you, if we go off the break, what I want to talk about when we come back. I want to talk about the actual uh, instance of increased violence uh, of the, what policies in European countries actually entice and encourage Islamic refugees to choose certain cities, uh, the, the rise in reliance on welfare, um, and then what kind of policies host countries could do to prevent these kind of, the creation of these kind of communities? Because we, we can see we can point to left-wing, frankly, left-wing policies that simply fail to acknowledge the truth of what's occurring, fail to acknowledge the rise in violence, fail to acknowledge the uh, intolerance of people in these Islamic-majority areas within various European cities, intolerance uh, for the, the culture of the host country, un- unwillingness, disinterest in assimilating uh, or integrating in any way. And I want, you know, I, I want to talk a little more to make very clear everyone understands what the depth of the problem is in Malmo, Sweden, and in, in Brussels and other places. But I also want to talk about in America what's happening and then what exactly is we can do as Americans because we do have our precious First Amendment we're always saying how important it is and grateful we have it and all of that. But within our First Amendment, we still have to be able to stand up for the unique quality and character of America's culture. Debbie George Jazz, America Can We Talk? Don't go away. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. 
They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking tonight with the author of the book, No Go Zones, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You, Raheem Kassam. Okay, sir, so you visited all these places where there are areas which are considered no-go zones, and they're kind of just areas where, unlike the picture you may have, some, some may have in their mind where we have walls around a city, it's just the culture that has established itself as an Islamic-majority culture that has made a... Um, cause in, in varying degrees the inability or unwillingness of people to enter. They, they, don't, they lack safety. They're kind of making, you had a great line for it somewhere in your book, like a state within a state. It's their own little enclave. But I want to talk about the real danger to the uh, populations of people whose uh, countries are going through this. For example, Malmo, Sweden. In Malmo, Sweden, there is a, a large area, no-go zone, and the former uh, police chief superintendent in Malmo named Torsten Elifsen, uh, had a comment. Essentially, said we have a number of no-go zones in Sweden. They're expanding. Police can go, but you have to take precautions. Uh, you have to have four officers, two cars. The fire brigade wants to win. We have to have police escort. So the danger, you know, one thing I was struck by that you comment in your book is that the danger created by these no-go zones isn't just to the culture, the population of Sweden, but the actual innocent people living within Malmo who, who are not violent, they can't get help from the police and the fire departments when they need it. 
That's exactly right. And I spoke with with a lot of locals, even local Muslims who 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 hate the place, who hate what's going on in Husby and in Rinkaby and in and in and in Malmo proper as well. They they feel like they are being separated from uh, the rest of civil society uh, by by the fact that they have been ghettoized. Now, in the first segment, we talked about how people, you know, sometimes willfully choose to ghettoize, but in a lot of these instances, they are either compelled or coerced. Um, by socialist or leftist political parties to do so. There is a massive, massive problem with uh, this. Effectively, what it is is gerrymandering, right? They, they want to put all of these people in the same places, in these city suburbs, so they can hold on electorally to these cities. Um, it is an incredibly uh, cynical move and, and diabolical, quite frankly. Um, but you have to remember as well that in Europe, the debate of left versus right is not quite the same as you have here in the United States. Um, the left versus right debate in Europe is, is you know, we're still talking about uh, countries that have political parties that are overtly communist. And I don't mean communist like Bernie Sanders. I mean real <laughs> hardline communist parties um, that, that, that are still operating. And these guys are are, they are completely shameless when it comes to issues of migration, welfareism, and keeping these people voting how they want them to vote. As you say, not just the local police chiefs, the former, former local police chief who, who told me this, a number of people in these areas, not just about criminality, not just about Sharia implementation, but also about things like uh, uh, festivals in Sweden, where, where young girls are often targeted, sexually harassed, raped. And what is the Swedish government's response to this? Well, they can't break apart uh, their, uh, their fantastical uh, obsessions with mass migration on the back of a couple of girls being touched. Um, so they hide it. Um, they, they cover it up. They don't allow papers to report it. And, and often it falls on uh, newspapers in the United Kingdom or indeed in the United States to report on this stuff before it comes to light. It's, it's an extraordinary situation. And by the way, one which I fear is happening already here in the United States. Oh, we're going to get to the United States in just a moment. But you talked about a policy. You're alluding to policies that really enable this problem, exacerbate this problem. One is the unbelievable, unbelievably generous nature of the welfare state in Sweden, and which raises the question, how does somebody in northern Africa, Syria, trying to flee the violence there, how does that person end up in a place almost 2,000 miles away? I mean, who's telling them, yeah, head to Sweden, think welfare is great there, life is free. How do they get there? Well, the, the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations, many of them funded by the same characters we hear so often about, uh, George Soros' Open Societies Foundations, uh, the, uh, the Kellogg Foundations, the Ford Foundations, the Carnegie Endowments, all of these groups that we know full well have been, have been acting against uh, national interests of, of Western nations for, for so very long, are involved in sponsoring this whole process. So, you know, you're very right in saying, because not only is it, is it morally objectionable, it's actually legally objectionable. The definition of a refugee, by the way, is, one, is a person that can seek refuge in the nearest safe country. That's not, what's, that's not what's going on here. What they're doing is they're traversing the entirety of Europe, trying to make it to countries uh, where welfareism is, is rife and where it's easiest for them to get as much free stuff as possible. It's why so many of these North African migrants try and get their way into 
the United Kingdom. They know we're a soft touch. It's why so many people end up in Sweden, too. Uh, but it's push and pull factors. So you've got the push factors of the NGOs telling people where to go. They're even giving out maps, by the way, during the height of the migrant crisis of oh how to get gosh. through Europe. And the pull factors of those governments saying, and like Angela Merkel in Germany saying, yeah, come on, come everyone. We've got jobs for all of you. Well, they don't have jobs for everyone. And we know that now because we're two years after the, the peak of the migrant crisis. And the employment rate amongst these people is so devastatingly low that what do you think they're turning to to earn a living? They're turning to government and they're turning to crime. Yeah, you mentioned in your book the rampant um, nature of crime in many of these Islamic majority no-go zone cities. And also that it causes an odd impact on the uh, economy because you can get, for example, a very inexpensive haircut, buy products for very inexpensively below market level because that's not really how the people who run those shops in the no-go zones are making money. They are making money through illegal activity, and so they can offer what seems to be a very reasonable rate for a lot of products, but they're also engaged in all this, which is outside of the whole economy of the country, outside of the tax system. Outside. So people are making money. It's, it's, they, are, they are a drain on the financial system because they're receiving welfare, and they're really not paying much tax, many taxes at all. I mean, it's, it's a big mess. It seems like the conservatives would be, if there are such a thing, <laughs> there's such a thing in Europe, the conservatives should be just making the economic argument this is wrong. Well, so here's the thing. Unfortunately, in Scandinavia and in mainland Europe, um, conservatism sort of manifests itself in, in, in the way of nationalism, which is all well and good, uh, but there isn't, there isn't much in the way of, of, of fiscal conservatism across Europe. The United Kingdom's slightly different. We have slightly more of a tradition, as you guys do in that regard. Um, but there isn't really an economic argument being made uh, in these countries. And like you say, there is a complete black economy, a dark economy that has been created uh, by this mass migration. And, and, and locals are upset as well because, you know, while it may seem obvious to say it, why are they law-abiding citizens that pay their taxes and, and these people don't have to be? It's, 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 it's two rules. Okay, I got to tell you, this is killing me as it often does on radio because we, we're not out of time. I, I, we're not out of time, but I have many more topics than time to go. So I urge everyone listening to, to read No-Go Zones. And then I want to turn our attention. There's so much more you included in the book about the uh, conduct of local officials, the conduct of media, the policies in these countries that attract all of these Islamic immigrants to areas, and then the policies of placing them all in the same geographic area. So they just, they, they create the state within a state. So now turning to our precious United States of America, and we just have a few minutes left here, but everyone's very aware what happened in San Bernardino. I think that was December 2015. 15, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so part of what is happening in America is we do have a, uh, lax refugee system. We had people coming to America, the, the two um, who committed that horrible, Saeed Farouk and Tafshin Malik, uh, murder at this Christmas party in December of 2015. So what do we do in America? And I, I read your suggestions. And I don't know if you can uh, summarize them quickly, but what do we do in America so we don't have Mamo Sweden happen here? Well, look, uh, firstly, the thing to understand is that the, the left and the Islamists are gathering together to try and strip America of its identity. Only when you strip America of its identity can you, can you 
put things in place like they do in Europe. The problem Europe's had is it hasn't stood up for its identity. So that's the first thing, and you took those first steps on November the 8th, 2016. But you see it now with the statues being torn down, the kneeling of the flags. They're trying to undermine uh, what holds and binds a nation together. If you undermine that, then it allows enclaves to build up. But you're already seeing those enclaves in Hamtramck, in Michigan, in Dearborn, in Brooklyn. You have the Islamic call to prayer being blasted out on the streets, and anybody that criticizes it is called an Islamophobe, a racist, a xenophobe. The first thing is first. You have to have a discriminatory uh, immigration system. The word discrimination is taken totally out of whack nowadays. Discrimination can be good. It's the same reason I drink uh, milk in the morning and not and not vegetable oil. You know, <laughs> a, form, a form of discrimination is always good. And and so you have to have what I think what this president is aiming for, the Raise Act. It's a merits-based immigration system. You have to cut off chain migration. You can't say you can bring all of your family together all the time. You have to have paid into a system before you can claim welfare out of it. You don't just come here and start receiving checks from the government. All of these things put together would slow the pace, if not eradicate it altogether. And very small things too. Like you put somebody in a housing block in a major city and they put up a big satellite dish on their balcony because they don't want to learn the English language and they want to watch foreign language television. It is incumbent upon local authorities to say, you know what? No. This is government housing. You can't do that here. You're going to learn the language. You're going to fit in. It's just just like Teddy Roosevelt said, go and look up what Teddy Roosevelt said about what we should expect from the immigrant in the United States. Yeah, Mr. Bissell, I have to jump in. Right. I have to jump in. We'll be out of time here. But can you hold on during the break for one more quick segment? Sure. Thank you very much, folks. America Can We Talk. Don't go away. We'll be right back talking with the author of No Go Zones. Be right back. August 2nd, 2006. Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. There's a lot of talk today among media and academia in our culture about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. 
Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm so grateful that our guest tonight was able to hold on for one more time, one more segment. Again, he is the author of No-Go Zones, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. The author's name is Raheem Kassam. So grateful to have him on. You know, sir, one thing I want to be sure and have our listeners um, think about and have us talk about is we, all of us who pay attention, are watching what's happening in Europe, watching what's happening in Brussels and in Sweden and in the United Kingdom and other places, and we're trying to, you know, most people want to make that, make sure that doesn't happen here, but at the same time we want to preserve our um, our security. And our and I love what you said before our break about there was just a, a radical effort on the American left to undermine just the, the core of the identity of America, the meaning of America, and we see it expressed in many different ways. And so, in particular, we focus on freedom of religion in America, and we just, we, and that's a beautiful thing. Everyone's so grateful we have that in our First Amendment. But we are seeing, seeing a danger with Islam um, as it has been migrated into Europe and into the United Kingdom. And then here in America, we've had refugees coming here in light of what's happening with ISIS and Syria and Iraq. And so we have a growing refugee population here, but we have to be able, as Americans, first to talk about this problem, talk about preventing no-go zones coming here. And part of the reason we can't is because any statement about potential danger from Islam is immediately labeled by the left, by the media, uh, as Islamophobic. So so how do we deal with that? Well, firstly, I have to say we have to stop referring and accepting the premise that Islam is a religion. 
Um, it is it is not just a religion. It is it is partly a religion, but it is also partly a political system. It is also partly a, a, a philosophy and, a, and an ideology. Um, and the idea that that somehow criticism of Islam is is anathema to the uh, freedom of religion or, or is somehow uh, discriminatory against against worshippers it's a, it's a total nonsense. And we have to get that right from the outset. It's not just right to say that, but it's also right to say that whenever you talk about Islam and, 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 its, and its violence in the Quran and in the Hadiths and, and all of this stuff, you're often told, oh, you can't say that about one billion plus people around the world. And it's, it's not so much them saying a billion people don't feel this way. It's actually more them saying, watch out not to annoy a billion people. And that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like a very sort of peaceful argument to me. That sounds like, hey, you better watch what you say or, or there'll be a, a billion angry people ready to come for you. So we have to get our heads around that from the outset, that actually not just in America is, is, is criticism of anything allowed, but specifically we have to be allowed to talk about this because it's not what it pretends to be. And I should know. My name is Raheem Kassam and I was raised in a Muslim family. Um, and you can talk to many people about this who feel exactly the same way, but whose voices are shouted down, again, as you say, by, by the sort of the, the, the conflagration of the left and the radical Islamists in public areas, on your televisions, on your radio stations, who try and shout down people like Majid Nawaz, a liberal who used to be in a terrorist organization, who is, who is now working against them. Ayan Hirsi Ali, a former Muslim who went through female genital mutilation. Dr. Zudi Jassa in Phoenix. Arizona, Raheel Raza in Canada, they call us, I say us, people who have either left the faith or who want to reform it, they call us Uncle Toms, they call us House Muslims, they call us all sorts of things to shut down the conversation so that the conversation may not be had. And, and, and it's not just that we need to keep talking about this. We actually need to stop talking about talking about it. <laughs> we're obsessed with what we're allowed to talk about. Just talk about it. Forget, forget about the, the, see, this is how they derail us. They get us onto the whole thing as, oh, should we be allowed to talk about it? Of course, we should be allowed to talk about anything. That's the end of that conversation. And now we have to move on to, the, to, you know, to what we actually do in terms of solving this problem. When you have in this country and in my country, in the United Kingdom, uh, a plethora across the country of, of hate preachers across the country saying the most heinous things, calls to violence, calls to kill Jews and, 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 and annihilate non-believers and, and, and slay people. Well, that's incitement to violence. That's actually, that's actually a contravention of the law. That's not a violation of somebody's free speech. If somebody wants to go up and say, I believe Muhammad is the only one God, and blah, 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 that's fine. You can do that till you're blue in the face. Um, but when you start for calling to be, for people to be killed, which people do all around this country in the name of Islam, then you have actionable uh, evidence against them. And that's what the security agencies, your security services and mine, are really told not to act against because that might be considered uh, uh, heinous to the, to the Muslim population. Now, number one, that's incredibly patronizing to the, to the majority uh, Muslim population. Like I say, it's not the overwhelming majority like the media often makes us think, oh, you know, 99% of Muslims don't believe in this, that and the other. That's a lie. Uh, it's actually a lot more than just 1% of Muslims that do believe in terror and violence, Sharia, female genital mutilation, so on and so forth. But it is still a majority of Muslims who don't care about those things. They might, if they're pushed by their imam, say, yeah, 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 we're with you, don't worry about it. But they actually don't care. They want, to, they want to raise their kids, they want to send them to school, they want to pay their taxes, in so much as anybody wants to pay their taxes. And, and they want to live better lives. 
And that's, and that's what's being pulled away. The, the left is very good at driving this wedge, and we're not. So what we need to do is drive a wedge between the moderates and the reformists and the violence. And we also need to empower our security services. You know, locking somebody away for saying that, you know, for, for inciting violence against somebody is not a contravention of the First Amendment. You are, you are establishing a, a real threat to somebody. If that was done to the president, they would be locked away. And, the, and it should be no different because the person is uh, not the president, but is a member of the Jewish community or is a non-Muslim. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many, how many threats I get, um, but it, which, are, which are simply... Yes, I would. <laughs> which is simply not acted upon. And this is, you know, so, so I'm, I'm going around in, in sort of circles here, but I need to stress the point that, that those of us who are willing to speak out against it find very little support. And, and then often we're asked, oh, where are the Muslim voices when there's a terrorist attack happening? Well, they're out there. They're just, they're just threatened and cajoled and constrained and, and terrified in some cases to actually go out on the streets and show their faces. Now, I'm a little bit of a narcissist, so, so I like my face out there. Uh, but for, the mo- for, for most people, that's, that's not the way they were brought up. Wow. Okay. I want to, again, tell our listeners, and I, for, first of all, sir, I cannot thank you enough for all the work you went to to write this book, to actually go to these no-go zones around Europe and in America, to interview people uh, who uh, you know live in those communities, who have been affected by them, and also to report one thing I want to tell our listeners, too. The book, your book is just a fabulous resource because it's filled with information such as polling done in many different places, polling referred to a moment ago in Western Europe, how many native uh, you know, residents of various countries would like to stop Islamic immigration entirely or would like to significantly cut back, how many yes. people within Islamic faith truly do support Sharia being a broad, more broadly applied to, to their entire communities, how many of them do support violence in the name of Islam, these, these, I mean, all that data is in there. And so it's, the data is another great weapon in trying to fight back against people and who just... And, and it's ahead. worth noting this just one thing, which is the book has been out now since August the 14th, and there has not been one article, one counterpoint, uh, one talking head on television proving any of this incorrect. And that tells me, you know, we did a good job on this and, and that nothing in here is, is conjecture, nothing is, nothing is outrageous, nothing is fake news. Not the SPLC, not Hope Not Hate, not any of the Soros groups, not CNN. None of them have come back to me and said, this is not true. So, you know, like you say, just to hammer that point home, this is a resource I feel like everybody can use. And I'm planning on quoting it quite often on my show. Sir, we're speaking again. Raheem Kassam, thank you so very much for calling in tonight. Thank you. And folks, I just hope you uh, memorized every word of that interview. For those of you listening on Facebook Live, I'm holding up the book. I don't know if you can see it. It is the greatest book, and I love speaking with the author. And I want to just talk uh, toward the end of the show tonight just about some of the points he made that are just so insightful and actually harder for some Americans to recognize. First, he actually talked openly about what many people have observed, which is the left in this country, as well as the left throughout Europe and throughout the United Kingdom, the left in this country and the Islamists are really wedded at the hip, working together to undermine the and strip America of the sense of national identity. 
this whole amazingly ridiculous thing we have of taking down statues in Dallas and in cities around the country, taking down statues that relate to the Civil War and America's history. We have the NFL players again refusing to stand for the national anthem, to salute to the flag. This is not, everyone looks at these things and thinks, well, that's happening because of this issue and that's happening because of this issue. You have to recognize the American left and the Islamists in this country who simply deplore the idea of America, the unique greatness of America, they are all behind this conduct and people who are engaging it are being played, they're being used, they're being manipulated into engaging in anti-American behavior and in beginning to get the notion that America is not the noble, good, special country that it is. But it is a noble, special, great place. Okay, so Raheem Kassam, by the way, quick tell you, he has an article out. Tomorrow is uh, Columbus Day uh, in America this year, October 9th. Tomorrow is Columbus Day. And um, uh, Raheem Kassam has a column out mocking how some of the American left don't want to call it Columbus Day anymore. Now it's going to be Indigenous Peoples Day. And his his, uh, title ends with, Why not just scream, I wish I was never born, never even born. Folks, this guy has become is just so insightful, and what he's saying about American culture is really important to understand. You know, my show, America Can We Talk, I do it every week to talk about the unique, great goodness of America, the founding ideas of America, like the soldier we talked about in the very beginning of the show who finished West Point Academy and thinks that he's a communist and he supports communism. This guy is not upholding the Constitution. He is not. He is agreeing with an enemy of America. And, you know, I, I, I did a bunch of speaking recently, and someone was saying, what do you mean by the ideas of America? What are you talking about? Because I, I try to tie many stories I cover back to the ideas of America. And here are just some of the basic ideas of America. Ideas like freedom and dignity of the individual. We are not divided into hyphenated groups, hyphenated organizations, you know, um, you know, African-American, Asian-American. No, we're just American. It's a divisive, intentionally divisive thing to divide people into hyphenated categories. The notion that in declaration, rights come from our, from God to all of us. The, the government doesn't decide them. The people are the sovereign, not the government. People are sovereign, not ruling elites. We have freedom of speech, assembly, from random search and seizure, right to bear arms. We didn't even talk tonight about Las Vegas. We'll have to save that for next week. But the private property rights are fundamental to America. The free market the uh, capitalism fundamental to America. The government is supposed to be limited, not ubiquitous in your face at all times. The rule of law governs all equally. These are ideas that make America exceptional and great. And we talk about it every week on America Can We Talk. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk truth about America.